MCA Skullville listeners, I am William, and today we are continuing on with our World of Wargaming series. Today we have the Chief uh, Game Master and Project Lead of Hex War Games, Keith Martin-Smith, as well as Tom Knowles. Gentlemen, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Fine, fine, thank you. All right, so starting off with, uh, with Keith, do you mind just providing me uh, some uh, background information, who you are? and how you uh, got into Wargaming, and uh, tell us a little bit about Hexmoor. Okay, uh, first of all, I, I'm an uh, old guy in the team, so I started Wargaming, gosh, 67, 68, uh, and I'm a long-term gamer and extremely competitive. So uh, I play an awful lot of Wargames competitions every year, uh, mainly miniatures, been making computer games since 1981. Um, uh, Hex War, uh, we started in 2002, and that's when we moved to making computer games professionally. And since then, gosh, uh, I think we've made maybe 50, 60 games. I've lost track uh, for PC, iPhone, iPad, Android, uh, and games from ancient world to the current period. Over to Tom. Sure. Um, so my background is uh, I'm a retired British Army infantry captain, uh, spent most of my 20s uh, in the military, uh, then moved over to the defence sector, uh, and then sort of, how would you say, flipped around in the tech world. Uh, been involved in a fair few startups and then moved over to Hexwar um, and have sort of got my hands dirty with main bringing the inbound products um, aligned with what perhaps we need in this modern modern environment when it comes to military application. Um, in terms of wargaming, I have experienced back in the day in the military with doing the sort of the manual mandrolic board game versions of these things in a sort of staff officer level. Um, but actually I've never been exposed until I joined Hexwar, the digital version. I have to say I, I'm already seeing the benefits. So that's sort of my uh, whistle stop tour of how I've ended up here on this podcast today. <laughs> well, thank you. So uh, starting off, uh, can you do, uh, both uh, provide a little context? Give us a little bit about the history of, of Hexwar. How did it start? What products were sort of your your initial foray into wargaming, and then how has the company evolved to, uh, until today? Okay, well, uh, before two thousand two, produced a number of games, often for third parties, but more as a hobby on the side. Being two thousand and two, uh, we started converting uh, board games. So these were classic board games like Arn and Bastoin. Uh, relatively simple board games, but really conversion to play online. So our focus was person to person playing rather than playing against the AI. Uh, and that was very successful. And eventually we produced 42, converted 42 different board games. Um, but with the advent of the iPhone, uh, you know, we looked to the future and we started creating our own game designs. And so, most of our games made since then have been uh, targeted at a mobile iPhone or iPad. Uh, uh, iPad 
by far the most successful sector for us. Uh, but we've also produced a range of games as Hex War and for some third parties uh, for uh, PC uh, as well and uh, Apple Mac. Uh, we've been quite keen that we don't leave Apple Mac users behind, so virtually everything is cross-platform. Uh, about two years ago now, the Marine Corps showed some interest in the games we were making and that relationship started. Uh, uh, it's been a fantastic conversation ever since, and it's brought us to where we are today. So what was that? Uh, you know, you said you, said you looked toward, toward the future uh, when with yep. going towards the uh, the Apple iPod, uh, iPhone, iPad opportunities. Yep. What um, were you able to bring to those platforms that was previously unavailable? Um, and different from uh, board war gaming or traditional PC war gaming? Uh, I think number one in our aspect in our success is playability. Uh, you know, converting board war games is one thing, but often they're complicated and they take an awful long time to play. Um, and most board war game conversions are still quite clunky, still take quite a while to play, um, often too many rules, or they're not intuitive rules. So we've been very successful in locking at progressive learning through playing uh, a game. So if you take our simplest game, which was our first mobile game, which was Tamp Battle 1944, every time you play a new mission, you're introduced to a new rule, you're introduced to a new uh, vehicle, say Tiger Tank for the first time, um, and you're helped to step through learning by playing rather than having to read a 20-page rule book. Um, and and th that was a great success for us. Uh, I think Tank Battle 44 has had about 600,000 downloads uh, altogether. So, you know, not we're not talking about the best-selling games on iPhone or iPad, but that's quite a healthy number uh, to have achieved for a commercial venture. Well, especially in this day and age, the, um, the uh, app games on on uh, your your uh, your phone are are it's a very competitive market. How do you offer a product that separates itself from the wider range of, of games, especially even military battle related games, uh, okay. comparatively speaking? Okay, uh, focus. So we we focused on war games. Uh, we focused on war games that involve um, should we say it, uh, more application of the mind rather than speed of play? So all the games are turn-based. Uh, they're, they're progressive challenges through the game. So the more you play, the harder it gets as well. So that that keeps you uh, engaged in 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 the games. Uh, but I, I think our standout has to be just simple playability. We focused on the time period people play on a mobile device. Um, so for, for those uh, people who are listening do use their mobile phones, if you think how long you play a single game, typically six to eight minutes is the max you would stick on the phone. Uh, and so we, we've designed the missions often around that. Uh, so lots of analysis of how to play on, on mobile devices, even how big the touch points for a finger are, uh, how you're going to hold the phone while you're playing. <laughs> Just lots of simple things. And I think we've done that extremely well. Um, 
but within the war game space, um, it's for simplest things. Our, our games have got very boring names. Tank Battle 1944, uh, Civil War 1861. Uh, we don't call them bizarre names. Uh, so they're easily found through searching as well. Uh, you know, very common, loads of very common words. Uh, and so we tend to stand out. So uh, we, we could spend a huge fortune advertising. I'll be honest, we try not to. Uh, it, it is just nice, easy to learn names. But if you've played it and you've enjoyed the game, you've got a simple name, you can tell a friend and they can easily find it on the Apple App Store or in Google Play or the like. What is the, uh, are we, for especially for your, your mobile games, what is the level yeah. of historical depth that you, you go into when either uh, crafting the maps or forming the units, et cetera? Like how, what, um, what is, I guess, your, 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 your standard for that? Okay, um, the role model we take uh, is what might you do if you were playing in a miniatures type system. So we hunt down uh, the maps of the period, we try and scale them to a reasonable uh, size, we research the units that, that actually took place. So if you were to play Civil War 1861, the units all have the original names, they all start in the place they would have started in the real battle. Uh, and we try very hard to scale the weapons to, to what we understand to be the effectiveness and the speed of the units. Uh, but then at the end of the day, you have to com compromise sometimes. Do you want this to be a fun game? So so we try to be historically accurate, but you want to be fun. So in most of our games, uh, not all of them, most of the games, when you play a mission in the game, uh, say uh, the Battle of Antietam, there's a button that says historical mode. So you can play in casual mode against a, a computer, or you can click it towards historical mode, and that tries to run everything exactly as should be. But often that will also make the game a bit, a bit one-sided. Uh, if one side is superior to the other, it's not as friendly a game to play, but it will be more accurate. So, Tom, do you mind, um, as the project lead, going a bit into how you have developed the AI for, for the mobile games? Because I, that can obviously, from, from my experiences with, with wargaming, AI can be a, a sort of a, a tricky beast to master. How has it evolved and, and, and improved itself in uh, X4 games? Um, yeah, I think I think for the actual specifics, I'm going to bow out to Keith on that one. But because uh, uh, but there's certainly some interesting stuff on the horizon. Um, I'm sure you guys have picked up on, um, you know, the last year and a half. Everyone's now crazy about AI and likes to tag AI onto everything. Um, I think looking ahead, there's going to be some very interesting things we can do with the data sets uh, and make it almost like a true AI. I think the AI in the games that we currently have, people will probably be able to distinguish quite quickly between the two. But I think Keith can probably expand on on what on what I'm sort of batting around there whilst navigating uh, NDAs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I, I'm happy to say. So for the future, yeah, Tom's your man. Uh, I mean, using future AIs based on lots of game data and game analytics that we're assembling uh, using machine learning, without a doubt that that is the future for vastly superior AIs. The AIs in our current game 
are, are based on a number of things. One, the fact that most of the team that have been involved in these games are competitive gamers. So we've written some fairly uh, nifty logic into most of the games about the most sensible things to do. But, um, but at the end of the day, there's, there's choices to be made. So those choices are often made through uh, decision trees. So you, you present um, a certain position for a unit or a range of targets for, say, a tank to shoot at. Um, given the choices, there's a decision tree. Uh, it, we give it the odds of the best thing to attack. And then often to roll the die roll based on those odds as to who it chooses uh, uh, to attack. So based on decision trees, you get a computer which will play the game differently every time, but the AI in our games is not nearly as strong as an AI built by machine learning will be in the future. Um, so expect to see some major improvements uh, in our AI. Having said that, I think you've already played one of our games and you'll see our current AI is fairly strong. Um, and the real challenge is to beat our games in hard mode. Um, when you start a mission in the games, you can play uh, easy, normal, or hard. Uh, when we assign hard, all the computer's doing is taking a bit more time to think about the problem. We give it no statistical advantages at all. Uh, and uh, most players cannot beat our games in hard mode. Wow, most players can't. Well, I guess that's challenge accepted because I, I played a, I played a Civil War 1861 right before this interview, and I played normal mode, and it, 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 I mean, it turned into a bloodbath as, as these, as, as they do. But now I'm, now I'm, now I'm really intrigued. So, uh, looking uh, first for audience who may not be familiar with Hexboard games, uh, you, there's the three levels of war: strategic, operational, and tactical. Where do your games usually fit in there? And then how, how do they? Uh, um, set themselves apart uh, or, or specialize in uh, one of those fields. Okay. Uh, if, well, I'll start and I'll, I'll pass to Tom, actually. Uh, most of our mobile games are tactical. Some of our uh, mobile games are operational, but it's our games that we originally designed as board game conversions are much more strategic, uh, uh, well, operational and strategic, and the games we're developing uh, for the future for MCU, I have a much more strategic uh, focus to them. Uh, and I don't know, Tom, do you want to do a run through where we're going on those? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we can skip, we can dance through a few. Um, I, th I would say that the current application, as Keith is saying, is firmly aligned with the sort of the tactical level, um, and that's been embraced. Um, but you know these type of games are particularly good at getting you to think rather than sort of playing it like a real-time strategy it's not sort of just a point and click and see if it it sort of explodes it's more about um getting you to think in a through a thought process which with the environment that you guys know and call home you'll realize that there's many layers to the way you're trained to think and and once you can design a system that can bring all those to light it becomes um far more applicable uh, and so our sort of things on the horizon um in terms of what we're going to look to develop 
are firmly aligned with strategic and operational level, um, bringing in other aspects to the gameplay, not just um, the kinetic effect of a certain weapon system, but also sort of like the supply chain element, the um, different terrain element, like the geopolitical sphere, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's going to bring in um, more ingredients than you simply have in something like Company Commander, which is a very much a tactical level game where it's sort of assess your forces weight versus what you've been told the enemy weight is and work out where you might deploy them in a in a pretty logical common sense way uh, and then press play and go which is very good fun but um the strategic level side of things you know you're consistently going through some sort of estimate basically in the military environment you're you, you know you intuit people that have been trained in the military to think a certain way will find themselves very quickly just going into some sort of course and being like okay what is the situation and what have I been asked to do and then pressing end turn and then it will all change again so I think it's it's definitely going to level up uh in, in the next evolution over the next year Keith I mean how about I don't know if that agrees with what you're sort of thinking yeah, no that, 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 that's right um so yes absolutely spot I mean company commander uh which is just rolling out at MCU is very tactical and yet um, we have a game called NATO Division Commander uh, under development for delivery sometime in 2024. And in that, you know, one of the players is, a com is the Commander-in-Chief, another is the S1, just does S1 things, another is the S2, another is the S3. So clear uh, roles between the players uh, and a very different style of game to a Company Commander. I think one of the constraints we have with looking at those more complex game environments is actually how do we still keep them playable like something like Company Commander, uh, where, you know, in the tactical level, as Keith was saying earlier, actually, they are pretty realistic. The data sets used to sort of show that a weapon system like a 105, it's pretty representative of how effective it's going to be at that range against that particular vehicle type, which... Truth be told, in this environment, I didn't think it would be in a game, but actually having got visibility of the data and, you know, realizing that, you know, we are actually taking accurate um, engineered solutions and applying them in a, in a, in a game is, is pretty, is pretty useful stuff. But, uh, but when you then take that to a strategic level, you can very easily see how that gets desperately complicated very quickly. So one of the things we're kind of looking at at the moment is how do we simplify these rule sets to maintain an element of realism but still make it fun to play without boring between you and i a player that's going to have to pick up you know nine to ten different aspects to a game but realistically just wants to get on with it and put its plan into action so i think it's something we're still very much working out but i think we're getting there we get, we're i would say we're getting there keith how about you <laughs> oh we are we are yeah we're an exciting year ahead i mean we've had an amazing year so far uh, i'll be quite frank about that uh, uh the guys at mcu um uh, uh, gaming team is just fantastic to work with um that's been that, that's made a huge difference to the projects that we've done as well but looking ahead uh, littoral commanders is one of the projects where tom has the lead that is great as a board game but we mm. expect it to be awesome as a digital game for sure oh, well, yeah you gave me a bunch of uh, questions, so I'm going to start knocking them off. Um, could you mind telling the audience about how about your relationship with Marine Corps University and, and what you've developed for them and how it's um, it, uh, advanced your own series as well? 
Okay, uh, so we, we started working with uh, Mr. Barrack, uh, Tim Barrack, and with uh, Jim Lacey at MCU, uh, say approximately two years ago. Uh, it took a while to work with them to get our games working in the cloud, uh, to develop uh, a, an interface uh, for that. And we focused on building a competitive gaming system from our experience in, in eSports area. So there is a, a great gaming system out there to play against other people, to play in teams. Uh, everybody's ranked. Um, so uh, we'll do even more with them in the following year. So we, we just started with that super interface. Then we added some um, historical board game conversions to that. So, for example, uh, it is now possible you can have a class on the Battle of Antietam. You can go and visit the battlefield of Antietam and you can come into the office and you can now replay the Battle of Antietam and have a go yourself and see what happens. Uh, so that's the historical games. Uh, but over the year, we've developed Company Commander, which is a this tactical game where you literally do command a company through a wide range of, of missions just coming uh, online uh, in the last uh, week or so. Um, and I think you'll see that develop through the year. I mean, it, it is uh, a long gest uh, gestation period to really convert a game first digitally and then customize it to be the product, the game you really need uh, in there, from, which we learn from people playing, getting feedback and uh, constantly change uh, and improve on that. Um, and, and really, that's that's just grown into a super relationship. So now we have this roadmap for game delivery in the next year, which, I mean, Tom, are you happy to cover that? In terms of what's coming up? Yeah, just a quick synopsis of, of what should be arriving. Yeah, I think, you know, as you said, we're polishing off company, I think a quick whistle-stop tour, we're polishing off company commander um, and then really looking to bring and deliver within, well, a similar timeline, uh, forecasting out probably a year or so, littoral commander, which is the sort of, I think that's probably the game which is most representative of here and now, and maybe over the next five years, and what, like, your junior, what I would say junior officer, like captain to sort of colonel is going to be really fascinated by and, and probably tinker with day in day out it once they get exposed to it because it you know you're you're getting a whole plethora of assets rather than in company commander where it's just your average company levels level assets um and then we're gonna as i think we very high quickly highlighted a second ago third world war and nato division commander which are big boys um slightly slower paced but with the computerization of them we're looking to speed them up but at the moment some of these games are taking no word of a lie about a week to play when you're actually sort of getting in in a room and going through it so as i was kind of alluding to we are in a discovery phase of how we maintain the core of these games don't change what the output is but allow the the computer to do the legwork and mean that you can jump in nice and quickly and get on with it. And it takes an eight, turns a sort of a week long enterprise into maybe a two hour uh, syndicate experience. Um, but I, if I was a betting man um, for the for the for the junior officers, 
um, Colonel and below, although a Colonel probably won't like being called Junior, but um, uh, Littoral Commander will be the one that they sort of have a real affinity with because that's the modern battle space. You know, that's that's what we're sort of, that, you know, all of us that have gone through training are used to sort of sending up RFIs and asking for new assets and building those into plans and then exercising them at sort of the brigade, uh, being part of a brigade plan or, or, a, or a battle group plan. And that's where that really sort of comes to light. But I, I can't sugarcoat it. It's a pretty complex beast because, you know, the, the modern the modern battlefield is a complex beast. Um, and uh, all those different assets, they do they do change the data set. They do change the rules behind behind what you see as a user. They do just change the game. So it's going to take some time, but I'm pretty confident um, that we'll get there and it will be a good product um, by probably the end of next year. All right, well, let's let's dive into it again because I know I, I saw y'all uh, had company commander up at your modern day marine stall with the competition you had going on. So just for our audience who wasn't there, do you mind talking about uh, just the, the gameplay and 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 the uh, what company commander offers, and then transition towards how did you evolve from there to literal commander, and then start talking about. Uh, what literal commander will would offer? Because as you mentioned, yes, that's that's what the Marine Corps needs to be doing and studying, uh, and, and getting the reps and sets in for 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 uh, future military operations. Okay, so happy to tell me if I do company commander, then I'll pass to you for a literal role. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're still learning the latter, but let's do yeah. company commander because we've got that one wrapped up, and then we can sort of uh, we can have a laugh okay. about how good we are at the other one. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to me and Tom playing. Uh, first thing we do is play the game a lot, and uh, we're a fairly competitive bunch. Uh, so Company Commander is it, literally what, what it says. Uh, you command a company. Uh, there are some predetermined missions already set up for you, uh, but the heart of the game is really being um, assigned a mission, uh, assigned a map, and designing your force within restrictions as to what you will take with you in that company, because uh, what will you take from the uh, weapons company uh, to support? What requests will you put in for uh, uh, support, the air support or OPF or uh, such items, uh, uh, artillery support and the like? Um, so uh, having assembled your company and assembled the support assets, you go in and then play the mission. But the heart of the game is really that you don't just go in playing as a US Marine Corps company against say a Chinese company, you play both sides. So ideally you always play two games uh, as, as both sides in this mission. And uh, that allows you to actually get much greater insight into that game. And the gameplay is relatively simple. I mean, it really is point and click. And yet the data behind it is, as Tom's pointed out, it is about as accurate as we can make it in the commercial space. Um, and it's, it's fairly fast uh, and, and fun. Uh, you play through the Marine Corps uh, uh, system. Therefore, you're playing the competitive space. You're being ranked uh, for this as well. Um, and you can issue challenges back and forth against people. Um, but within the game, you're not only playing the game, you're learning an awful lot about the capabilities of your own weapon systems compared to the 
potential enemy uh, weapon systems. So if, if the Chinese force is the Red Force, although you can play against Germans in World War II, uh, Japanese World War II, you have a whole range of options in the game. Uh, but you gain an awful lot of learning about uh, how a Chinese company is organized and what weapons are in a Chinese company and how effective they are. So uh, a simple one being uh, that uh, a Moors, you know, is effective uh, on the side against a Chinese uh, T-96, but, but don't take on a 99 because uh, it's probably not going to be any use. You need a javelin or some such item. So again, the games are just a good, fun way to actually learn some fairly basic weapons about weapon capability and enemy organization. Uh, there you go. That's my simple uh, description of the game. Best way will be in the near future is play, be able to play the game. Over to Tom. Yeah, I think um, I think that's bang on. I, I think it's you know from my. I must confess, I'm relatively new to this space uh, as a involved in the development side. I mean, I've done war gaming for like we all have on and off over the years. But um, I think one of the things that struck me is actually you don't need a particularly glorified graphic interface to in, to see the utility of these games. You know, they're pretty basic games compared to what I think lots of people will play in in the FPS world. But um, this, these games are thinking games and, you know, they're turn-based um, and you you do get engrossed, even though the graphic interface might not be um, what people might expect if you were thinking about a war fighting game and your immediate instinct was like Battlefield or, or you know, Call of Duty. It's a very much a different beast, but it, but it totally um, does the job of getting you to understand um, what moving these chess pieces around the map might actually really entail if you are having to command a company with all these different assets and all these different weapon types. Um, when we skip that over to Littoral, I mean, we haven't built it yet, <laughs> so we're still very much learning. But I would say my uh, hunch says, my hunch is that the combined arms element of Littoral is going to take what is established in Company Commander and level it up so that you're not just going to be focused on what those ground units at company level are doing. You're going to be having to understand what your naval elements are able to do in terms of maneuver and delivery. You're going to have to take into account what the logistic timelines are as you move your flock further forward. You're going to have to take into account that, you know, it's not just about attriting the kinetic ability of the enemy it's also perhaps just denying them maneuver and then actually striking them you know in the in in depth where their supply nodes are etc all those things which you talk about more often than not in an academic setting but don't actually get that much exposure to until you're on like a live maneuvers at battle group or brigade level um, and aren't really ever you know unless you're fortunate enough to to be in an ops room, if you're a sergeant or a corporal or a second lieutenant or a captain, you know, it's not something you're going to actually have visibility of. And whilst you're aware that it might be going on, you're not having to move those chess pieces around mentally in your head. But these type of games do a very good job of actually exposing you to how an organization like, in this case, the US Marine Corps actually does its business, you know, how it actually goes to war, how it's templated to go to war, which is 
which is really fun to see, certainly in a board game. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Will. I spend most of my time staring at, staring at the 200 cards that each unit has, which change the rule set as soon as you play one and just think, my goodness, we're going to have to invest some serious time here. But I think the end product will be good fun. And as long as we um, can simplify the user interface to make it as fun to play as company commander, as simple to play as company commander, I, I think it'll be great. I, I really do see the buy-in, um, you know, I'm, I'm an infantier. I'm not the, the brightest knife in the drawer. I'll be totally frank with you. There's definitely cleverer people where in my world, but um, if, if I can grasp it, if I can grasp company commander pretty quickly, then I think a lot of people can. And um, it's, you know, I see the utility. So we'll hope, fingers crossed a year from now, hopefully we'll be back on this and be like, here we go. Give this one a go. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I would love to have you all back on and do a deeper dive into it. So you did mention uh, earlier, one of you, that there is a, uh, you have a competitive feature uh, for your series. Do you mind talking a bit about that? Yep. Tom, do you want to stay? Uh, you go for it, Keith. I think you're going to do a much okay. better job of explaining uh, heuristic bias and how we negate it, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera, um, and the player rating um, aspect okay. that we have. Okay. Okay, two aspects to competitive is we, we design from the ground up that our games should be available to players in a competitive environment. So you can issue challenges to other players, but also you can form teams and play team against team. Uh, in there. We can play class against class at MCU. Uh, we can even play uh, War College against War College. And we've we run a tournament uh, with international uh, war colleges playing each other already this year. Um, so, and it's a it's a very clean, very simple interface. The same sort of interface that players might be in see if they went into an esports uh, tournament. Um, so you get your ranking, your position. Um, but it is a fact that we focused on playing paired games. So you play both sides. So if if, if me and you were to play a game on uh, well, let's say Company Commander, uh, and we played a scenario from there. Ideally, we'd play both sides in that scenario, and our score will be the results of the two games. Now, the reason why you want to play both sides is for two reasons. Real battles aren't necessarily fair. Yeah. So when you build scenarios, one game, one side may be significantly inferior to the other side. But if you play both sides, all of a sudden you can have a fair battle, but you're still struggling with having the smaller side in one of those games. Um, and it makes the gameplay much more realistic. So Tom's alluded to heuristic bias. The, the, the challenge with playing war games and most war games in training is you only play red or blue. And the way you play is usually to win. In a real battle, a real environment, you know, if you're in a training mission uh, in the field and you failed to twice to capture the objective or achieve the mission objective, then you make a decision. Well, I'm not going to do it. It's not happening. You know, I stop. I, I cut my losses. Whereas in a, if you do this in a board game or a war game, uh, on a be on the tabletop or on a computer, you tend to take more risk as you keep trying to achieve the objective which isn't realistic. If you play both sides, then if you're not doing well, you then tend to stop and say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the defensive. I'm going to cut my losses. Uh, 
because I'm going to play the other game. I'm going to play the other side and do even better. Uh, you might argue that the best loser wins the, wins the, the game overall, uh, uh, which is no different to playing in a football or soccer tournament where you play both home and away or, or such thing. It's a balance of two scores. So you get more realistic play through playing computer war games and you get you avoid players uh, from taking unnecessary risks in the game because in a paired game you don't tend to take unnecessary risk uh, but most importantly it's just fun i mean you're learning but to be honest it's fun so one of the lessons even mdm is if you make the games uh fun you know we have players coming back again and again and again just wanting to get better scores from their last game or bring friends along uh, and, and play head to head. So it's, it's learning, um, not saying it has to be fun like Call of Duty, but it, it still can be, um, even though our graphics aren't Call of Duty, uh, you tend to find players want to do better. It, it has that nice sort of edge to it that you've in, enjoyed playing the game and there's a desire to always improve on how you did it the last time and go again and again and again. Yeah, it's the real it's the realistic element of it all, isn't it? You know, when you're you're controlling a company and you're moving, if you're in the World War Two era and you're moving armor around, you know that what's being represented there in terms of chance of destroying or immobilizing the enemy is relatively within scope of realism, you know, at that range, up on that terrain. And that despite comparative uh, interfaces is actually pretty darn intoxicating once you get into it especially for the clientele that we're talking about here you know like the if this the u.s marine every you know it's it's, a, it's what people enjoy doing and it's it's kind of you learn a weapon types by osmosis but you also get to sort of think through a challenge in a way that you're by the very nature of the job they're doing being trained to do Awesome, thank you. So um, going off of what the Commandant's saying for the Marine Corps, you know, we have China is the pacing uh, competitor or pacing threat. So you have, you got covered with uh, company commander with the ability to play a modern Chinese army. You also described that the current pacing function is logistics. How do your games incorporate logistics? Is there any particular games in your series that you have that uh, best uh, incorporates logistics as a gameplay element? I think in you know there's we could dance around this a bit, but but um for my for my ten pence or or ten cents as I should say, um the company commander definitely encompasses ammo states and certain like weapon systems have an ammo state, um but there's not and and that is a that is definitely a factor in the way you deploy those weapon systems and you play through that. You know, let's say it's 16 turns, the way you actually choose when to use certain weapons and 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 also expose them to the th to the threat from the enemy. Um, but comparing to what's down the line uh, in terms of the the layering of, of full combined arms maneuver and and as I was dancing through very quickly in the likes of littoral, but you also have it in Third World War and NATO Division Commander, those games because of the level that they sit uh, and you know in, in essence just strategic maneuver the logistic side of things which is a very much a core component of how you move an army and it's associated um 
capabilities around the battlefield, they're the ones where we're expected to see it become a real factor. And therefore, the people that understand the nuances of those worlds uh, will probably play be better players, um, I, I'd suspect. Yep. So, I, I, you know, the... The the um, the enlisted or the NCOs of this world, I suspect, will probably be some of the better players, if I'm honest, because they're, you know, if it's anything like the British Army, like they're the ones that actually know how how this all works, and you can't go that far without that many bullets, and you can't go that far without much fuel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, whereas um, the junior commanders or the or the non-enlisted, I, I you know, they're just sort of very much focused on what they tend to be able to deliver with what they have, rather than understanding fully what those rates are of return when it, when you actually start using stuff. So I, I think it will be interesting. But in, in a bridge version, at the moment, it's a factor, but you can't really strike it. You can't necessarily um, like deny it as an effect too easily uh, in about a year's time with the, with the expansion of the games. Um, it will be a very much a core component, if not the core component of how you actually become a better player. Is that fair, Keith? Yes. Oh, no, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, if you take two extremes, um, company commander, you know, we have in the game at the moment that things like javelin, you only have so many. Uh, if, if you're being supported by drones like uh, uh, OPF support, um, there is only so much support. Uh, so your low-level weapons, you will get ammo uh, resupply in the game. Uh, but for those uh, smart weapons, you've only you have so many. You have to manage your supply, uh, and you have to decide very carefully which targets you're going to expend your smart weapons on, because you 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 can't. Uh, you need to be selective so you, you can get through the whole mission uh, in there. But that's relatively basic. Whereas, the, let's say the other extreme, uh, there's a game on the way. Uh, before the end of this year called Russian Campaign. You, you retrite all the war in Russia, 1941 to 45, uh, and supply is a significant feature of a game, even though it's a very simple game, and you have to manage the railway lines, which route are you going to take? Because while there are these big open spaces to operate into, uh, you have to plan how will I stay in supply operating in this area of manoeuvre. Uh, uh, NATO division commander, ultimately the game's all about supply. Uh, how you manage that in the game will be the key element. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So as we begin to wrap up your interview, I have a couple uh, just questions to ask. So let's pretend, for instance, in some weird universe, I'm a young second lieutenant. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a commute to work, but uh, uh, where I'm not driving, but I, I, it takes a, a bit. What mobile game would each of you recommend that I download from your series to get my reps and sets in for wargaming? Yeah, I mean, um, I'll go first so I can steal the answers. Uh, <laughs> right here, right now, I'd, I'd do Company Commander. Um, and uh, in the future, I would say Company Commander may well change slightly, but uh, I would probably put my, my hard-earned dollars on Littoral Commander being the one that I would be uh, getting my rinse and repeat and beating my syndicate app when I get put to test. That would be yep. what I'd be doing. Okay. And, and well, just to follow up on that, if you are within uh, MCU and you have access to the Marine Corps University Cloud, 
then yes, I agree on, on company uh, commander. Still early days. You will see that evolve and evolve and, ev uh, and evolve uh, through the year. Uh, if you don't have access to the MCU cloud, um, well, on our commercial mobile games, uh, the, the games such as, and I simple names again, like Time Battle 1945, um, fun, fast, and yet uh, you have to work jolly hard to beat that AI. But you can't play another person uh, on that one. It, you're only against the AI. Um, it is much, much more fun to play a real person. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. So for our listeners who uh, may not be part of the uh, MCU and have access to the cloud, where, where can we find your games? Where can we find your social media? Uh, is there any, in any way you'd like to, to, to plug uh, Hex4 games? Okay. Uh, well, we've actually made a massive change in the last week or so. Uh, so you will find most of our games uh, with the Hex4 brand uh, if you search for huntedcow.com. Uh, so we now, within the commercial space, uh, they're sold under the Hunted Cow brand. Um, uh, or you could just go to the Apple App Store or to Steam or to Google Play and just type Tank Battle uh, 1945. You'll find them there. And any of those then have a link that lists all of our other games. So something, that's why we choose simple names. Simple name search, it'll list everything else with it. Uh, if you want to refight the whole of the Battle of Waterloo, uh, we've got games for that. You name it, I think we've covered the topic. All right, perfect. And so my, for my final question for each of you, you've had a busy day at Hexwar Games, and of course the first thing you want to do when you get home is pour yourself a glass of scotch and do some more wargaming. What is your favorite wargaming that isn't developed by Hexwar Games? So it has to be outside of your, your own, uh, your own uh, series. Tom, challenge for you first. Goodness me, that's a that's a you know what I I I couldn't give you a straight answer. I'm I'm I'd be lying if I said I'd played much digital wargaming games other than the ones we've been talking about. Um, uh, but I do like real time strategy, so I suppose there's a familiarity there. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a sucker for the old stuff. So if you hit me with Red Alert too, uh, I'm 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 all over it. There you go, Will. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, on the digital front. I probably play, uh, uh, gosh, I have to just think about that for a moment. What do I play? Age of Empires more than anything. Uh, typically with six or seven of us playing at the same time. That tends to be my Monday nights uh, doing that. Uh, competitively, miniatures, uh, ancients, uh, pushing little 15 mil figures across the battlefield uh, in a miniature tournament. Uh, would be my uh, go-to uh, miniature game. Uh, I tend to play games about three nights a week. The uh, fanatical gamer. Awesome. Well, Tom, Keith, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on our show and uh, giving us some insights. And please, for audience, go out and check out uh, Hexwar Games. Um, go pick out a few and keep an eye out for uh, Company Commander and uh, Literal Commander. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers. Well, thank we'll you see you next much. year. Thanks. The Marine Corps requires leaders of all ranks to have a deep understanding of war and the employment of force. MCDP-1 reminds Marines that the military profession is a thinking profession. Every Marine is expected to be a student of the art and science of war. It goes on to say that every Marine has an individual responsibility to study the profession of arms. Self-directed study in the art and science of war is at least equal in importance 
to maintaining physical condition and should receive at least equal time. The Marine Corps Association understands the critical importance of ensuring that Marines are as mentally ready for combat as they are physically ready. That is why we offer an entire page dedicated to wargaming on our website. We have recommendations for both tabletop board games as well as computer games. And for Marine Corps Association members, there is a discount code for Wargame Design Studios that you can find on the website. Wargames are a great way to immerse yourself in history and to put yourself in the shoes of the great leaders of history. Go beyond guided instruction and experience the thrill of wargaming. Check us out at mca-marines.org forward slash decision dash making dash exercises forward slash wargaming dash two. That's mca-marines.org forward slash decision dash making dash exercises forward slash wargaming dash two. Take your training to the next level. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.